Uh, the start of a warm week and plenty to catch from the day on RTE Radio 1. This is Playback Daily. I'm Carol Moran and here's what you might have missed. But what about the student, and I'm talking about the hard-working student every day who does what they're told, who's in attendance every day, who's always on time. They're the students who go in and, you know, I mean, let's face it, the Leaving Cert determines what you do for the rest of your life. It it just gets to you. You see, you think it's getting better and better and you think something happens and you think, okay, it's going to get solved. And it doesn't. It's getting worse and worse out there every day. If you send me a WhatsApp voice note that's (laughs) over 40 seconds, that's a podcast. I will pick up the phone and go, what you want? I'm not listening to that. I don't have the time. I'd rather get it over with. And we're into week two of the Leaving Cert exams and some curveballs have left some students licking their wounds over the weekend. And in the morning, Ryan Tuberty had something to say about it. Just in case, if, you're not, if you don't have anyone near you or in your life who's doing the Leaving Cert, this doesn't really matter. It's not about that necessarily. What I'm saying is that uh, there, was, there was a maths paper on Friday, which apparently was a complete terror and really horrible. And I was reading in The Independent today, uh, Catherine Donnelly writing about uh, the principal of Moat Community School. And it caught my eye because we were in Moat Community, Community School. We popped in to visit them at the invitation of the principal, Tom Lowry. He's a great principal. He's a great school, great vibe in the school. They, the uh, Junk Couture, that's I remember seeing them like a few times. They've got great teachers in there uh, in terms of art as well as the regular subjects. Other subjects, I should say, not art as a regular subject. Anyway, he uh, Tom is in the papers today because he has written a letter to complain to the State Examinations Commission about the exam. And he says in the letter, I have one message for the uh, SEC. Shame on you. And this is guy, Tom Larry knows a thing or two about being um, a principal and a teacher. There's 850 kids in the school, pupils in the school. Uh, he's been a maths teacher for 20 years, so he knows what he's talking about more than and, than I do, and, and a lot of us you know, today will know. He's been teaching higher level maths, and um, he said himself and four higher level maths teachers in the school found it to be the most, certainly the most difficult maths paper in the last 10 years, and said that, and this is a point a lot of people are making, this particular tranche of students hadn't sat a state exam because of COVID, so it's all quite new to them. And while a lot of the years got special favourite status, and rightly so in the last couple of years, this crowd didn't really. So they're sitting there and the nerves are gone. And the, 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 this exam was pretty, pretty tough, it seems. You know, the paper, he says, was obscure from the outset, left students in a state of panic and upset before they even began to attempt the examination, thereby not allowing them to complete the paper uh, to their full uh, potential. And the school had scenes of students upset and crying as they left our exam halls all over the country and shaking their ability and confidence as they head into another exam paper on Monday. That is to say today. So in 20 minutes time, we've got this other exam coming down the tracks. Um, and people's confidence is, uh, students' confidence is, is a little shaken. But we always say in, in, among our family is when you quote that great scene from Braveheart, especially if there's a few leaving cert or junior, junior cert, but particularly leaving cert going into paper two this morning and into Irish this afternoon, is hold, hold, put that Friday's thing behind you now and go in with a fresh face and a fresh brain and, and, and just have a go. Write what you know, do your best and try and hold off catastrophizing and over worrying to the point that you're 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 on edge. Okay, just have a go. Do your best, um, because the parents are nervous too. And we got an email overnight um, from a parent who says 
Ryan, it's 11.20pm Sunday night. So this is last night. A lot of us would have been probably asleep at this stage for thereabouts. And our daughter heads into Matt's paper two in the morning. So that's, as I say, 20 minutes away. And to say she's been rattled by paper one last Friday is an understatement. She has completely lost confidence in what next week will bring and what other potential tricks are up ahead. She and her entire friend group are doing extra Irish essay preparation when they should be revising. They're scrambling to now look at subjects that they had originally not considered counting. And my daughter said she wants to draw a line under, but she keeps going back to that feeling of complete and utter shock. She lost the entire weekend through lack of sleep and a constant feeling of panic. And these leaving certs have never sat a state exam before. They've gone from 14 to 18 year olds in masks without any socialising. And they were given no dispensation as the other years got as if they too did not live their school lives in the same pandemic. That, that, uh, they're, they're fighting for college places against those who got predicted grades and inflated grades. And they and their families feel totally let down by this archaic system, not to mention the toll it is taking on their mental health and well-being. Shame on the Minister for Education and the entire uh, department. Now, to, to be fair to the Minister, I do think she has tried hard, quite hard to, to balance the books on this one. Um, in terms of making the exams a little less uh, intense. But I just think for whatever reason, this maths one has seems to have caught people and blindsided uh, the students. So uh, that's that's going to be uh, the problem here. And I do have another email. It's quite long, but I'm going to read it anyway. It's Monday morning and it, it, I think it's relevant. This is the next generation. This is our future we're talking about here. So uh, this one says, I'm sitting here writing this to you as a parent of a Leaving Cert student. I feel so upset, so helpless and so angry at what students have just gone through over the past few days. I'm baffled by what our home has just been put through this weekend, as have many others around the country, I'm sure. Students deflated, upset and struggling over the weekend to find the motivation to reset. Why would they set a paper that would do this to them? Day one, the signs were there. Wednesday afternoon, students at home economics. It was one of our daughter's favourite subjects. She had worked hard, felt confident and hoped to do very well. She completed it but walked out deflated. The paper was described as having curveballs which could leave students unnerved. Why would one try to unnerve these students? These are students who on Wednesday sat their first ever state exam. These students, like those in previous years, have missed out on two years of school. These are the kids who constantly we are saying we need to mind their mental health and then this is what you do to them. It's unfair and inexcusable. And then it got worse, says this uh, correspondent. Friday afternoon, Matt's paper won. Comments over the weekend from students and parents saying... There were lots of tears, students panicking, teachers describing it as tiring, challenging and unsettling. Our Minister for Education said at the start of these exams, when one student in a household is taking an exam, the whole house is taking an exam. Well, well observed and true story. Well, says this person, I hope those who set these papers enjoyed their weekend because for us parents, it was a weekend of trying to piece together the minds they had broken, trying to motivate them, encourage them to keep going, to go back and face another maths paper on Monday morning. This is not education. Well, look, I have strong feelings on the Leaving Certificate exam, as you know, and I've made them very clear. I'm not a fan and it's got to be fixed. And uh, let's have a look and see what text coming in already. Spent the weekend trying to get my daughter calm, confidence destroyed, says one. Uh, another says this is going to turn a lot of higher level maths, uh, people off a lot of, uh, put a lot of people off higher level maths, sorry. Uh, Ryan, we have a Leaving Cert student this year, very difficult to deal with over the weekend, trying to rebuild confidence after the maths paper on Friday. My son was already stressed and has gone off this morning in tears. I'm at a loss. Difficult no matter how many times you tell them that is not the end of the world, says May. Uh, my poor niece, says Susan, came out of the higher maths exam in tears on Friday. I felt so sorry for her and she has the second maths paper today and Irish as well. 
We can only wish all the students today the best of luck. And the emails and texts from worried families came piling in. So Ryan spoke to principal of Moat Community School, Tom Larry. Uh, Tom Larry, good morning. Good to talk to you again. Good morning, Ryan. How are you? I'm good, yeah. And uh, I was just talking about you and and your letter to the uh, State Examinations Commission, the SEC. Of course, you're the principal of Moat Community School. What happened on Friday? Well, what happened on Friday basically was that um, the students who sat the higher level maths paper found it a very, very difficult paper. Yeah. And obviously when the exam was over, the aftermath was students very upset and very worried and um, completely thrown off, completely shaken. I just got an opportunity then to look at the paper and I concurred with their opinion that it was, in my view, probably the hardest paper in many years. Uh, I contacted all our maths teachers who teach higher level here and they were of the same view. And because of that and because of the, the, the distress that students felt on the day, keeping in mind it was the third day of the Leaving Certificate exams, they're now facing Paper 2 of Maths today, Irish Paper 1 today and more, and more tomorrow, that I felt this was an injustice, to be honest. There's, there's a lot going on here because so many listeners are getting in touch about this. One of them is that this is yeah. the first state examination that this year, class of 23, yeah. are sitting yeah. because they didn't sit the junior cert because of COVID. And while there was a lot of dispensation, dispens, dispensation happening in the last couple of years, that this year mm. didn't quite feel the, the benefit of that necessarily. I know that the minister did make a few efforts in changing different things in terms of exams and uh, certain yeah, essays were, and so on. You know, there, was, there were certain adjustments. Yeah, yes, and, 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 and credit should be given for that. But... Why did you write, I have one message for the State Examinations Commission, shame on you? Why did I write that? Yeah. Because I believe it. I mean, as educators, and I mean, I'm, I'm a former maths teacher, so I taught maths for 20 years, teaching higher level before I became principal. Mm. Um, so, you know, maths is a really important subject. It's, it's, it's a lovely subject. I love it. And I'd, I'd, I'd say that any maths teacher in the country would want their students to enjoy the subject. So, so you've, you've, you know, as, and, and also as educators, we understand that questions are going to be challenging because they have to determine who's going to get a H1 or a H2 or a H3 or a H4. You know, so the questions can't be all easy. But the, the extent of higher order questions that were completely right throughout that exam on Friday, that were challenging in every possible way to students, was far in excess. So it meant that some students, you know, left blanks, couldn't complete. Some students said to me, I couldn't complete one question in the exam. Complete it, you know, where you, where you actually do a full question. Mm. So they were doing bits of different questions. They were leaving blanks. It was, it, was, it was shameful. And that's why I use the word shame. It's shame on them because I don't think that is fair. I don't think it is fair to our students. Student well-being. I mean, what are we? What are we hearing about well-being and and student well-being? Well, and thing. looking after our students and making sure that they are okay. Our students left here on Friday evening, and I, as many as I could, I spoke to them to try and say, you know, forget about this now, because the reality, and that's what I put in the article. The irony is, the results here are going to be the same. There's still going to be the amount, same amount of H1, H2, H3, H4. Yes, because it's so a level the, the playing bell, the, essentially. Yeah, the bell curve is going to have to apply. Yeah. And that's the case every year. Why? What's the sense then in this? 
Uh, why would you do that to students? Why do we when do... You could, sorry, go ahead, sorry. When you could offer them a challenging paper, I mean, I'm talking about good, hard-working, dedicated, committed students who are every day working hard to do the best they can. This is a high-stakes exam. I would... I would invite members of the State Examinations Commission to be here in the school on the days of these exams to witness, you know, this this experience that our students are having because it isn't easy, Ryan. And Ryan agreed. He's still feeling it. Oh, I'm still traumatised by the leaving cert. I, 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 no, I'm, I'm, I <laughs> don't mean to make light of it. But, no, yeah. but I have to ask, we have to ask ourselves, is the leaving cert fit for purpose? Is the leaving cert as it stands uh, f- fair? Uh, is it is it just too nasty, too cruel, too brutal, as I've been saying? Or uh, is it time for a complete but rethink of the whole can thing? Can I say, for example, last year, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the maths papers, if I talk about the maths papers, there wasn't the same response to these papers. The papers were fair. They were, they were um, um, you know, they catered for all, all ability types. So if you worked hard, you mightn't be brilliant at maths, but if you did your work, you could get the grade that you deserved. Okay, so there was just something a little oh this uh, was, too much this, this time. This was, it was, well, sorry, Ryan, to me it was disgraceful. Okay. That's the only word I would use. Um, I'm just trying to figure out, like, because all these generations of people getting in touch today talking about the Leaving Cert, it's not, there's not a great love <laughs> for this as an exam. And, and I'm just wondering... No. You know what I mean? That just we, no, uh, no. Are, is it unique? Love to, isn't the word I would use. No, it's not. And is it unique to us that we put this? I know the baccalaureate in in France, and I know that they have the what is it? The SATs, I think, in America, and, and they have the GCSEs in, in in Britain. You don't. I don't know. They don't seem to be as obsessed about these end of school life exams around the world mm-hmm. as much as we are. Is is it an, an Irish thing? I mean, you'd know, Tom, as a principal. It, it appears to be, and I mean, it is. Uh, it, when I say, when you say it's unfair, it is. It is uh, equitable, in that you know it treats everybody the same way. So, you know, um, it, it, it it's unbiased. That's one thing you can certainly <laughs> say for it. <laughs> the backhanded but, compliment to the exam. <laughs> but, but it is. It is. You know, because of the the nature of the examination. But like the the maths exam, as the English is, as the Irish is, it's an end of two year exam. So you've got to get all your yeah. information and all your knowledge together, and then it's 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 an end of year. So, so so Friday and Monday, examined your 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 maths yeah. for the last two years, and today and tomorrow examines your Irish for the last two years. And that's it. So then. it's end. Of, it, it depends on the very end. There's no project. There's nothing. There's nothing along the way which will. There's nothing, you know, there's no continuous assessment at any stage. Yeah, well, um, um, I just see the State Examinations Commission has been talking to RT News and said that apart from adjustments introduced in order to compensate for pandemic learning loss, mm. the Leaving Cert higher paper one was the same format, structure and style as previous Leaving Cert uh, higher level maths papers. It's said that candidates are always... Candidates are always expected to be able to apply their mathematical knowledge and skills to both familiar and less familiar contexts. So, in other words, good luck with that. Mm. That's the generic answer I expected. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 not so a surprise I, I, to you. I mean, 
you know, that's no surprise that I'm that, that, that that's the response. Well, one text says, another says, my son was physically physically sick with the anxiety yeah. of heading into Math Paper 2 as a result of Friday's upset. I agree with all the reactions this morning. I know you're busy there. I'll let you go in a moment. But And another says, my nephew did it and said it was fine. So there are probably some people who are doing, who did it and were okay. But there just seems to be this uniform response we're getting. But you today. see, it depends. It depends, Ryan. I mean, it depends, uh, you know, it depends on the kind of student you are. It depends. Sorry, my phone is going. Yeah, that's no, busy going mad. Yeah, it, it 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 depends on the type of student you are as to how you deal with with certain things. Yeah. You know, some students might find something difficult, and they deal with it. They find it difficult, but they don't think about it afterwards. Yeah, for sure. And if you're if if you know if you're that kind of person, well, good for you, uh, because you you'll be able to manage what life throws at you. But what about the student, and I'm talking about the hardworking student every day who, who, who works hard, who does what they're told, who's in attendance every day, who's always on time. They're the students who go in and, you know, I mean, let's face it, the Leaving Cert determines what yeah. you do for the rest of your life. Tom Lowry, Principal of Moat Community School from the Ryan Tuberty Show. And on today with Claire Byrne, the death of former Italian leader Silvio Berlusconi. First, though, to that breaking news in the last few minutes that the former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi has died. Nick Squires, Rome correspondent with the Daily Telegraph, is on the line. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Hello. Uh, let's take a look back at Silvio Berlusconi. He started as a cruise ship singer, moved into construction. When did he become interested in politics? So it, that was sort of back in the late uh, 1980s, and he first came to power in 1994. Um, I mean, some people love him, some people loathe him in this country, but I think no one can deny that he was uh, a very influential and certainly a very um, colourful character. In some ways, I think he was a sort of precursor to populism and and to the likes of Donald Trump. Uh, you know, he was a billionaire businessman who who managed to translate that sort of commercial weight into, into politics. He was prime minister for four times, as you said, um, and he was, uh, in, in the end, forced out of power in 2001. Not so much for those bunga bunga sex scandals, which we probably all remember, but really a little bit more because Italy was engulfed in a, in a financial... Um, European finan- um, financial crisis mm-hmm. at there, the time. Yeah, there was a debt crisis at that time. But as you say, his own problems from the bunga bunga parties to the tax fraud, they're probably the things that people will remember most. I have a clip here from 2014. This is Berlusconi who was speaking to BBC Newsnight and he was interviewed uh, at the time by Jeremy Paxman and he was asked about his legal troubles and those infamous, Nick, as you mentioned there, bunga bunga parties. The reputation you have is all about your private life. It's about corruption and unpaid taxes and bunga bunga parties. I mean, what do you think about that? Since I entered politics, I've been involved in 57 trials, but I've never previously had to deal with judges. Sono stato colpito da 57 processi. I've spent every weekend and each Monday afternoon with lawyers to prepare the 2,700 hearings that were held against me and my team. 
hanno cominciato con quello che lei ha ricordato, il Bunga Bunga. Poi le faccio vedere la sala culta del Bunga Bunga. The Bunga Bunga accusations were the most amazing things, ridiculous. They manipulated reality. Luckily, I am a strong person and I was able to take it. Well, ultimately he was convicted, wasn't he, of paying for sex with an underage prostitute. But Nick, all of those scandals, the tax fraud and the sex scandals, did they tarnish the view of him by voters in Italy? Well, just just on that point, actually, I should um, just correct and say he was convicted at a certain level of the judicial system, but he was ultimately acquitted of paying for sex uh, with an underage prostitute. Okay, he was acquitted on appeal, was he? Indeed, yes. In, in a trial that lasted years and years and years, as these things do in Italy. And in fact, sort of um, subsequent trials relating to all that bunga bunga sex stuff are still going on or, or were until he, he died just this morning. Um, but but um, yeah, he, he, he was the Teflon guy. I mean, he seemed to uh, survive almost all of these legal uh, entanglements, apart from a tax fraud conviction, as you said earlier. A lot of these cases timed out under Italy's statute of limitations because they just dragged on for so long in the courts. And in some ways, it, it felt like he would go on forever. You know, we know everyone will remember he had a hair transplants and plastic surgery, and this is the sort of permatanned prime minister. He, he seemed a little bit immortal to some extent, but 86, a uh, pretty good age. And um, yes, he, he, he died this morning, I think, with a very mixed, a very divided legacy. Nick Squires from Today with Claire Byrne. And in the afternoon, Catherine Thomas was chatting to comedian and actress and long-lost relative Ashling B. Ashling B, dear, lovely to see you. Hello, cousin Catherine. Cousin How are Catherine? you? We've been reminiscing about family and Ballyberry. We, we better say hello to Maura. I want to say hello to my aunt Maura, sister Amorani Hulawan, because uh, my family is from Ballyferter, outside Dingle, and we have found out in what can only be described as a VIP Ireland celebrity <laughs> uh, moment that you, your Nana and my granddad used to kick around together yes. in Ballyferreter, a town of eight people, and they were Who one quarter thought? of it. <laughs> and yeah. here we are, cousins, <laughs> reuniting on camera. I love it. Well, listen, it's great to see you and um, congratulations on an amazing movie. Got to see it last week. Oh, Laughed, cried, Aww. sang, almost danced. But I was with Neil, my work colleague, so just did a little sort of chair wiggle instead. Neil we were sober also. <laughs> but it was such a brilliant oh. experience. How was it for you? Yeah, I mean, the thing, the you'd hope the end result would be that people sort of feel nostalgic and want to just kind of jump up on their feet and start singing songs. I think especially for Irish and English people, the take that music means a lot. Like so people much. know the words without knowing the words. Yeah. And uh, so I think there'll be a lot of nostalgia. And you kind of forget the breath of music that came with them. And to be fair, like I've listened to some of those songs. We had to do the end scene of Never Forget 35 times where I lead a conga line down a high street uh, in Clitheroe in the north of England. And we had to do that about 30 odd times. And that's a long time to be listening to one song. And we really <laughs> didn't get sick of it, genuinely. And I would, I, I'm not one to lie. We and really did not get sing, sick of the girl. music. 
You can sing. You've got lungs. Ooh, I'm so embarrassed, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> but comedian, actor, like, was singing something that you trained in as well? Or? We did do a bit of singing in drama school, yeah. I think it's a lot more old-fashioned, though, to be able to do a bit of kind of like, I can sing, I can dance, bit of tap. You want me to host this christening? Okay, you know, it's a bit more old-school performer to be able to kind of give yeah, everything yeah. a go. I think I can do everything averagely. Okay. You know, like everything with a, I don't think I'm the world's best singer, but I'm not the worst. And oh, I've got you can sass it. behind me. <laughs> but like the production, but you still have to have the voice. You know, you've still got to stand up, which I think you absolutely did. Oh. Your character is Rachel. So we meet her. She's a woman at a certain stage of her life where maybe, am I right in saying she's a bit dissatisfied? I think there's something missing. I think we find out through the film that because of maybe what happened uh, when she was a kid in that group of friends, in that friendship group, it sort of has, there's been an echo of it, of something went missing or something went wrong. Mm. And you do feel the one thing I kind of tried to keep, I've got my two little thumbs painted like little Manchester bees here, because we did keep the Manchester Arena attacks at the back of our minds during this about all of those young kids who went out one night and some of them didn't get to come home. And that's, there's so there's a real heart and sort of feeling underneath the film that, something that can happen in your teenage years totally just shifting the direction of the rest of your life mm. even if it's in a slow quiet way that you don't talk about mm. and this film is that makes it sound more maudlin than it is but this film is about the people who you went through those bits with coming together and being able to kind of fix that little heal that bond because mm. when you're a kid you don't know how to talk about stuff you don't know how to explain what's going on in your friendship groups and everything that's happening to your body and your head and all the rest of it and then when they come back as adults something just clicks and then you're highly aware of the bits that don't click like yeah. when you meet up with your childhood friends you're yeah. like this used to be easier and this feels super easy like nothing ever happened but why why are all the bits not gelling yeah like I, I said at the beginning that I laughed and I cried and I didn't expect to cry yeah and I was saying that I had no tissues in the handbag and all I found was my daughter's bib like dirty bib so I was like <laughs> all snot and tears yeah. because there is your daughter is 22 yeah. she is 22 <laughs> Uh, but she's 18 months yeah. but oh, to um, I didn't expect like there's sad the sadness in the movie as well mm. and how it it plays out so the, the movie flows between the girls being teenagers and, and Rachel is your character yeah. so it flows between Rachel with all her teenage friends mm -hmm. and then cutting back to um, when she's a student a 16 year old yeah and uh, young me even though I auditioned to play young me and didn't get the part at the end <laughs> but uh, young me is played by Lara MacDonald who's an amazing Irish Brilliant. actress and I mean, I first saw Lara in Belfast and I was blown away by her just then watching that. And that was when I we were still in the pre-production stages. And then when I decided that we'd make the character Irish to give it more kind of groundedness and added a depth of like that immigrant family who would have come over in the 90s. There were so many of those families from Ireland who moved over. So that was important for you to do that. Yeah, it was. I, I think I wanted to. The character was from Manchester originally in the musical and I could have done that but I felt the film is so magical in some places that to be as grounded as possible in those moments felt like it needed some rooting with with my character and um it also meant that I got to kind of bring the lads over with me you know a couple of friends a movie <laughs> couple of mums and dads and stuff like that so yeah it did kind of be like right lads I've managed to manipulate the character into being Irish who can we get in Ashling B with Catherine Thomas in the afternoon And on today with Claire Byrne, Bernadette Fagan from the PATH organisation was telling Claire about Saturday night, 
the busiest one she can remember providing food on the streets of Dublin. Almost 1,400 people seeking international protection in Ireland were homeless for up to 10 weeks since the start of this year due to a shortage of accommodation, according to the Irish Refugee Council in a new report. Well, Bernadette Fagan is from the organisation PATH, Portleash Action Against Homelessness, which provides food and other supplies to those in need every Wednesday and Saturday in Dublin. And Bernadette is on the line now. Good morning, Bernadette. Good morning, Claire. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Now, the, the news from the Refugee Council, it comes as the Muslim Sisters of Era charity who provide hot meals as well. I'm sure you're aware of them. They said, I am very aware of Lorraine O'Connor, yes, the, and, and the group. They said that Friday night, just gone, that, that was one of their hardest that they've had on the streets of Dublin. They were speaking about it on Morning Ireland this morning. So Saturday night then for you, Bernadette, and your colleagues from PATH, was what was it like? So, Saturday was also, we heard the news about Muslim Sisters on our way in. Somebody had texted us and we arrived to a big queue which is nothing abnormal. I mean there's usually a big queue anyway but it just seemed to get bigger and bigger and bigger and we were constantly looking, have we got enough food? Are we going to do it? Checking to see how many were still in the queue. We're not going to do it. We're going to run out. It was seven years and I have to say I went home and actually put on my page, that was the busiest night ever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was just, it was stressful. It was, yeah, it was very, very very busy Saturday night. How many people do you reckon were queuing for food at at the PATH table? I reckon we had probably at least 250 people but you've got to remember there's also other soup runs in the city on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. There's at least two other tables and there's outreach from other organisations out there but we still have at least 250 people queuing people in prams, OAPs all sorts, walks of life, queuing to get a hot meal. Yeah, I, mean, I mentioned burned at the Irish Refugee Council saying that 1,400 asylum seekers were homeless for up to 10 weeks since the start of this year. Have you noticed that? We have noticed a huge increase in foreign nationals at the table, yes. And it's actually very, very hard to deal with the language barrier because we can't always communicate. Like, I mean, we had some foreign ladies at the table the other night that wanted us to open all our hot boxes so they could see what's in them. HSC rule regulations, we can't open our hot boxes and leave the lids off them. So we can't do that. So it took quite a while for the two people doing the hot food to able to be able to serve these people mm-hmm. and give them a meal and then let them go on their way to Be- get whatever other stuff they needed. And just to be clear, and people will, will know this anyway, it's quite possible that for religious reasons they couldn't eat certain foods. Absolutely. You need halal food for some religions. It needs to be certain foods. And even just the dried stuff on the table, even some of that stuff, if it's done made in certain ways these people can't eat so absolutely yes we have to be very careful and we have to be able we should be able to explain to different nationalities what is in the food but unfortunately we can't always do that so they take maybe a chicken dish and hopefully and that's going to serve their purpose and be able to their eating within their religion and what they can eat. Mm-hmm. And and the communication is really difficult. I know some people have used, and we heard about this when Ukrainians start to come here, Google Translate was a great help. Yes, we had a lady two weeks ago that was looking for a pair of runners and she spoke into her phone and handed me the phone and then it translated for me and then I spoke into the phone and handed it back to her. And But we can't do that at a table when we have 250 people queuing. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it's different when the food is gone and we're at the van and we're doing runners and wipes and socks and toiletries and all that kind of stuff. But when we're actually doing the food, it's quite impossible for... They don't even have that on the phone when they're queuing for the table for the food, to be honest. And listen, the Refugee Council report also says four unaccompanied children were forced to sleep rough, one at a bus and, and uh, more at a train station. Pregnant women as well left without accommodation. Are you seeing women and children who need your services at night on a Saturday oh, and Wednesday? Absolutely. And I was just saying there earlier, on a Wednesday night, we had people queuing at the van with prams. Now, the Wednesday night, the van doesn't arrive in Dublin until 9pm at night. And we have people with prams and toddlers queuing for hot food um, after nine o'clock when those kids should be, even if it's a hostel, they should be in a bed. But I mean, Claire, a few years ago in Dublin, it was illegal for a pregnant lady or a minor to sleep on the street. We legally had to report it. That number that we used to report, it doesn't exist anymore. We have no one we can ring when we're out in the streets at night if we come across somebody that's... uh, needs help. Mm -hmm. So you had a number to phone the regional executive the homelessness executive in Dublin did you? We used to have that in our phones. It was a first contact number and we'd say, look, we have a pregnant lady. She's in the Ted Baker doorway. Tell her to stay there. Somebody will be up to her. And somebody would come up within a half an hour. And what's and happened? Look after her. And that number doesn't exist. The last few times I tried, that number doesn't exist anymore. It just rings. There's no, it doesn't ring. It's gone. Mm-hmm. So we would say to people, listen, the only thing is present yourself at a police station. Now, a lot of homeless people don't want to present themselves at a police station for whatever reason. They don't want to go to a police station. But that's what we would say to people now, present yourself to a police station and they will get some of the services in like Focus or whatever that might be able to help you and might be able to get you a bed tonight. And Bernadette explains some of the frustrations of the situation. I told a homeless lady a couple of weeks ago to go to for her first port of call was Parkgate Hall. I should be burned the Parkgate Hall doesn't exist anymore. You can't go into Parkgate Hall anymore. You have to go online. So first of all we have foreign nationals coming in that can't use computers in our language. They can't fill out forms online. We have people that can't read or write. They're dyslexic or literate or whatever. But their first port of call is to go onto a computer to fill in forms to get to the council and they're not homeless unless the council receive those forms. Now in terms of your queue I mean, you've described around 250 people. Did you have enough food on Saturday night to look after them all? We did, just by the grace of God. Yes, we did. We just barely got through. We had rolling donuts came around with six boxes of donuts. We haven't asked them in a long time because we don't normally have time. But we literally went out of our way. A, a member went around and asked them, can you please help us? We did have enough hot food and we had enough. We ran out of water and we ran out of soft drinks. It was so hot on Saturday night. Even though the weather had changed, it was still so hot. But we ran out of water and soft drinks so early in the night even though we had enough with us to do a busy night. Well what's your plan now because obviously it's getting busier so you're going to need more supplies Bernadette are you? We're going to have to we're going to have to use more supplies we're going to have to bring I mean we bring in a van full at the moment so I don't know even how we can but yes we're going to have to bring in more of everything and I mean at the moment we say to people you're only allowed one hot meal you're allowed to take one of everything in the crate and when the queue is gone, you can come back and you can take everything that's on the table. But Saturday night, there was nothing left on the table to take. Mm-hmm. You have a mountain of sandwiches and you think, oh, should we be going to the hostel with them on the way home? But no, everything, every single crumb went the other night. And I've seen you working out in uh, Dublin city centre before yourself and your colleagues from yes, Path. And you like yes. to have a chat with people, don't you? Do, I mean, do you we have time do. when well, the queue... Um, having a chat is really needed and we'd have like who's doing the queue who's doing who's doing roaming you know one of the 
the committee membership tonight was was floating. But I mean, then I'm Catching is her name, and I'm catching. We need milk. Catching, we need spoons. Catching, we need this. So Catching couldn't talk to people, and then she has to come behind the table and do this and do that. And like, I mean, I had a lady come up to me two weeks ago. She needed incontinence pads. So they need you to go out and talk to them to find out what they need. They might not need anything physically, but they might need just to say hello and talk to somebody. Yes, but just to have a chat. if you need something like that, that we would bring, I brought in shoes in for an OAP. It's when you're talking to them, but we literally never got a chance to talk to anybody the other night. Mm-hmm. When we arrive at hello, we get a few hugs and they they help us all to set up and it's done real quickly. And then, But you just literally don't get a chance anymore to talk to people the way we used to. And so you're bringing in shoes and sanitary items. What else in terms of non-food? Toiletries, tents, sleeping bags, socks, boxer shorts, ladies' underwear, sanitary protection. Um, oh, the list is endless. The list is absolutely endless. At the moment, we're looking for sun creams. <laughs> and, uh, um, as I said, it's toothpaste, toothbrushes, shampoo, conditioner. Wipes are a big issue because a lot of our homeless in doorways and tents use the wipes to wash themselves. Yeah. And so we find wipes are not coming in as much because they're getting more expensive, but we badly need them. Okay. And the Refugee Council described what's happening at the moment as a new low in terms of how this country helps people who seek international protection. Do you agree that that's where things are at? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's I'm seven years down this, Claire, and I have to say I spent yesterday in tears over a situation uh, that I'm not going to go into, but uh, it, it just gets to you. You see, you think it's getting better and better and you think something happens and you think, OK, it's going to get solved. And it doesn't. It's getting worse and worse out there every day. Bernadette Fagan from the PATH organisation from Today with Claire Byrne. on the live line Conor Mungoyne was also talking about that maths paper one now 59,166 candidates entered to take the leaving certificate mathematics exams and 25,000 of them almost took the higher paper and what they went into on Friday morning if our email inbox is anything to go by was a source of shock disappointment upset to an awful lot of them and also by proxy their teachers and their parents, their teachers who'd worked hard to prepare them over two years. Some people obviously going the extra mile to get grinds over those two years. So a second set of teachers disappointed by what came up in the paper. The parents who had to deal with people's calming children down over the course of the weekend in order to prepare them for another week of exams which began today with maths paper two. People are coming, have been coming out of that exam. Some of them the vast majority of them going into Irish in the afternoon but maths paper two was something they were hoping perhaps to revise some of the subjects for uh, some of the topics the likes of trigonometry which would normally come up in maths paper two which popped up on maths paper one just one of a number of causes of upset for people over the weekend now one student who took time was so upset by Friday's paper took time out of their schedule today to get in contact with us, to send us a voice note between exams just to outline exactly what it's like for a student who sat in and faced that paper on Friday and was facing into maths paper two today. This is Roisin. Um, my name is Roisin Farley and I'm a Leaving Cert student in Clostermere in Ennis, County Clare. Um, I had high level maths paper one last Friday. And honestly, it was our first week of exams. We never did a junior cert really, 
but I felt somewhat prepared. Maths is not my best subject, but you know, I was looking forward to getting, I suppose, half of maths out of the way and just finishing the week on a good note. But I think I can speak for every Leaving Cert student when I say that maths paper one was an awful shock. As in, um, it was definitely harder than the mock paper my class or my school was given. And compared to last year's paper, there was a huge discrepancy in difficulty, which kind of confuses me. Because fair enough, you're going to make the paper hard. Make every year's paper hard. Fair enough, you're going to make the paper easy. Make every year's paper easy. Um, it just really, really confused me on why there's such a difference in difficulty year on year. And I think really it is the State Examinations Commission's job to ensure that something like this doesn't happen. After the exam, I was fine myself, but I saw so many other girls who I know are brilliant at maths there in my class. Leaving the exam hall, there was tears, there was shock, there was trauma on people's faces. And I think that math, that maths paper one genuinely was putting people off doing higher level maths. It was discouraging them from pursuing the subject. Um, I think you should be encouraging people to do higher level maths um, instead of giving them papers that really they're not prepared for and just scouring the syllabus to examine something that hasn't been examined before just for the sake of it. Picking things that teachers maybe don't even have time to teach. Um, my maths grinds teacher had a very similar reaction and I know a lot of teachers around the country had a very similar reaction. I think overall everybody was very, very disappointed with maths paper one on Friday and honestly it's just a shame that it had to happen, especially to a year like us who have actually never done a junior cert. So I don't know what happened up in the State Examinations Commission but Hopefully they'll rectify it and something like this will not happen next year. Roisin in Ennis there. Then Noel called from Mullingar. Noel, you're contacting us from Mullingar and the girls who left that exam hall in Ennis weren't the only ones that were distraught. Absolutely not, Colin. I think as a parent and a mum of a, te- you know, a teenager sitting in the Leaving Cert this year, the stress and strain of, on the class of 22 is unbelievable. You know, this cohort did not sit a state exam previously. You know, they entered fifth year, you know, missing some of the fundamental basics and subjects due to online remote teaching during COVID. You know, the schools are struggling with teacher absences. This cohort of students are expected to deliver as if no such obstacles exist. And I just don't think it's very fair on them. Where does the accountability sit? The minister needs to come out and address this. You know, the higher level paper was very, very difficult. You know, they, they certainly were not prepared for the level of difficulty. And I suppose my question is, you know, there's no comparison between the last number of years. And I'd like to know the percentage of, I'm sure there's plenty of, you know, people out there that will be able to maybe put a stats on this. But the percentage of difficulty between last year's paper versus the paper of 2023. You know, we've had, the schools have experienced teacher absences. You know, t- school classes have been without teachers for weeks and weeks on end. Does the minister know this? Does the person who's, you know, correcting the exam know that my my child or my student hasn't had a teacher for weeks on end. Like, I don't know how these students are supposed to go in and sit exams when there is such high level of teacher absenteeism in the classroom. And in fairness, the schools are doing their very best. The management in the schools are doing their very best to try and deal with it. But it's a problem and it exists. Getting back to the exam, you know, maths is a requirement for most college places. And let's face it, most people that are doing higher level maths need it for a course place or they want the extra 25 points. How you big know, a part of, of your daughter's plans was higher level maths? Because for a lot of people, they it's not really treated, teach, often teachers would say, as a single subject. 
the work that has to go into higher level maths is a subject yeah. and a half and there are point bonuses going for it for people who want to go on. That was disreg- yeah. that, that was stepped down for a few years but it's back. Point bonuses for mathematics in order to get people uh, into the kind of courses like engineering and computer science and all of those other kind of things that I are vital to the economy. But in terms of your daughter's plans for her leaving cert, how big a part of her plans was higher level maths and the points she might garner from it? Look, she doesn't need maths as such for her college position or her college course, but she does need to pass maths in order to get into her college place. But the thing about it, she was doing it for the 25 extra points. The amount of work these students have put in is unbelievable compared to any other subject they're studying. The amount of time and study they've put into maths over the last two years is unbelievable. So, for Can you, can this, you for give us a sense of what it was like coming out? Because you say that, you know, she wasn't banking on it per se, but, you know, she, she obviously needs it like everybody else to pass it. Did she come out of that exam on Friday worried that she may not have passed it? Well, look, she put in a lot of work, so she was expecting to get her 25 extra points, naturally. She's coming out of the school on Friday like a lot of extra students thinking, did we pass paper one? And the thing about it is, a lot of them would maybe score higher in paper one than paper two. So then they had a whole weekend of trying to prepare for paper two, worrying about where they, how they had gotten on in paper one. So it and how a, was she over the weekend trying to do today. that, trying to get her They're head worried. straight? Like, we have a saying in our house, you know, chuck it in the bucket. So once it's over and done with, forget about it, move on. But the students could not do that this weekend because they had that ex- extended worry from paper one, bringing it into a paper two first thing this morning. That's Noelle on the live line with Colm O'Mungoyne. And on today with Claire Byrne, modern life problems. Do people just drop into each other's houses anymore without a text or WhatsApp message to pre-warn? Well, broadcasters Thomas Cross and Barbara Scully were chatting to Claire in the morning. Barbara, are you somebody, I think you're somebody, this is my perception, who wouldn't (laughs) be bothered if somebody knocked on your door and said, hey, I'm here for a cup of tea and a chat. No, no, yeah. I generally wouldn't be bothered. Now, the problem is that um, I, at the moment, well, not at the moment, but for the last two years, we now have a very big dog. Um, so that's the only thing I have to be careful of when I answer the door because he loves to greet everybody, you know, on two paws yes. and could knock somebody into the middle of next week. But once I have him under control, I don't care. But I don't care about how my house looks either. I'm not really that bothered about that's, people that's judging me in the any battle. Of that. But do people do it though anymore? Um, I think... Yes, I think they do. But I think and I think from my own point of view, I have always done it. But with certain people, you get to know that there are certain people who don't appreciate you. You know, the people who you knock on the door and you're only going for a chat. You're not going for anything in particular. And you knock on the door and they have this look of expectation when they open the door as if to go, who's dead? What's up? And you've (laughs) no big announcement to make. You're just there because you got bored and you wanted to talk to somebody <laughs> and you know that they're really not happy with this And they have the security stuff. chain still on the door. Well, not quite, but <laughs> yeah, not them. far off. I got a great way to get rid of all that now. So just say you're in your house, someone knocks on the door, it's eight o'clock, it's a Tuesday evening and you're going, what is going on? Grab your coat, walk to the oh. door, open the door. If it's someone you like, ah, come on in, I'm just after coming in from the shops. But if you don't like them, I'm just, I have to go, I have to collect somebody. And that means they won't be coming it's into your house. Great strategy. Yeah, it's great, that coat. Do, do you know the other thing though that's different um, about nowadays and, and back in the day a million years ago is that a million years ago, like when I was growing up and living with my parents, we had the good room. So you had somewhere to bring people. You know, you'd meet somebody at the door and you could usher them into the good room away from everybody else and away from family life. 
Whereas nowadays nobody has a good room. So mm-hmm. you're generally in the kitchen. So you're in the middle of family life. And I think that sometimes makes it less easy for people to say, yeah, come on in, do you want a cup of tea? Because they know like the kids are in the kitchen or the teenagers are in the yeah. kitchen. And, you know. Do you have many random callers in your neighbourhood coming in for a chat, Crossy? I try not to. <laughs> I think I give off. You've got the code uh, in your hand. The code is always there. And it's mad because when you walk in, I, I live in a little cottage and the kitchen and the sitting room are the exact same room. And just at the door, the coat's there. I just feel like it's strange. If you want to come over to my house, text me and tell me why you're coming over and I'll tell you if I'm there or not. But I'm pretty friendly with everything else. I just think when it comes to that, your house is where you just want to relax and be at home. And I know. So would you be afraid that somebody's kind of catching you out if they landed in? And what if they're going to stay there for a few hours? Like I have no milk in my fridge. I have no tea bags. (laughs) I don't drink tea. So if I just drink coffee, it's black coffee. But if you're coming over in the evening time, you don't want a coffee. You'd be wired all night. Yeah, listen, people are getting very very exercised about this. (laughs) This listener says, I had a neighbour call to the door at 9pm on a weeknight asking about a missing cat in the area that she did not own. (laughs) Way too late to ring someone's doorbell on a weeknight. Have they not got a WhatsApp group? That's what WhatsApp groups yeah. are for. Our WhatsApp neighbourhood Actually, groups you, is full you of said cats. that about um, somebody texting you in advance. Like, does, no, nobody rings anybody anymore. That's it's that's all gone, it's all it? WhatsApp. I don't know anybody that rings. My friend now is just terrible. I love doing it. I'd rather pick up the phone and say hello to somebody. But nine times out of ten, like if I rang five of my friends now, I guarantee you they wouldn't answer it. Oh. But they'll text me straight away. What you want? Mm. But the I'm more funny, into that. You know, I love the conversation and the chat. Not my house but (laughs) I'd rather a phone call I'd rather a phone call but I think it's gone now and I think you guys will find it in radio now that people have lost the art of storytelling so like they'll text in for competitions and all that but if you ask them to give them give you something you won't get that anymore because they're just so used to go yeah no all right okay thanks and that's it. It's it's really strange and it's happening more and more. Because it was a thing when people did ring each other that you wouldn't ring somebody after 10 o'clock. That was sort of the, ah, the yeah. cut off point. Now it's, why are you ringing me at all ever? Just text me. <laughs> that's true. And the other thing that I do think is a generational thing and I hate to be ageist, this might be slightly ageist, is that, you know, the people who you don't want to talk to because you haven't got time or you're busy and you send a WhatsApp and then they ring you. Oh no. And you're, <laughs> like I have a friend who does that and I'm always going, stop, ring me. Crossy does that. I do you that. Do that. If you send me a WhatsApp voice note that's over 40 seconds, that's a podcast. I will pick up the phone and go, what you want? I'm not listening to that. I don't have the time. I'd rather get it over with. Thomas Cross and Barbara Scully from Today with Claire Byrne. And in the morning, Ryan Tipperty was talking to 18-year-old Lewis Boyle from Antrim about running for local government as a teenager and life after A-level exams. Um, well, hopefully they went all right, but um, I'm sure I'll find out on results day if they did. Is, is there, is, I mean, I don't know if you know how intense the Leaving Cert is in terms of people's reaction to it and how we feel about it in, in the Republic of Ireland. What's the sort of pressure A-levels wise for people of your vintage well, um, in Northern Ireland, I, I had to sit six exams. Um, they're quite strenuous. Um, certainly quite a stressful time for everybody. Um, I mean, exams are stressful for everybody across the world, both North and South. But mm-hmm. um, there's a great level of stress for people here in Northern Ireland as well for, for their A-levels. Okay, so no, it's, 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 it's universal, <laughs> exams yes, and, yeah. and young people. Okay, so you did you study politics? I mean, I was watching the news the other evening with my youngest, who's, who's 18, and she was saying, why don't we learn about the political parties and party systems in school here, which I think was a great question because 
it, if you encourage people to learn about the, the parties, regardless of where you're coming from, left, right, centre, at least know who they are and what they are so that you can, you know, who you're voting for or who you might even run run for office for. What? How do they teach politics when, when you're at school? Um, so at my school, the first module was the British political system in Westminster, and then it is the American political system. So it's the structures of government in both those. And then the other module is political ideology. So you have an understanding of liberalism, conservatism, socialism, stuff like that. But right. I, I do get your point. I think it's incredibly important that we are teaching people what the political parties stand for, because if we're putting them forward and we're saying, please go forward, vote for these people, they're going to make the decisions for you. It's good to know what the parties are standing for that you're going to vote for. Now, you you decided to run for the local elections recently at the age of 18 while still at school. Why? Yes. Simple, simple question. Well, absolutely. I wanted to run for local government because you can see things that aren't being done effectively. And you can, of course, lobby council from outside but there's absolutely no better way to make positive change and actual impact on your community by getting involved in the decision making process and I've got right in there in that process and I can make changes that I see that need to be done and the other young people have seen and additionally not just limited to young people but for everybody across the DEA that I represent. I, I see you were you were given a 50-50 chance of being elected so I, I, I admire your chutzpah that you just said yep I'm going to throw the dice here. Where, where did that come from that interest in politics and the, and the, and the confidence? Uh, well, I was always interested in politics. I mean, uh, the first thing I remember politically was the Scottish independence referendum. Yeah. And I would have only been around 10, 9 or 10 at the time. And I was just so interested in the entire process, what the Scottish wanted to do after independence, or if they didn't get independence, then in the union. There was just something that was so fascinating towards me there. And I've always had that interest. And I always, I was I'm totally obsessed throughout the entire Brexit negotiation period, yeah. just learning about it. I couldn't, I couldn't learn enough about it. And I've always had that interest. So whenever I had an opportunity to step into politics, I immediately jumped at it. Lewis Boyle from the Ryan Tuberty Show. And on today with Claire Byrne, the resignation of former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson as an MP. Well, it's been an eventful weekend across the Irish Sea. Former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson resigned as an MP dramatically on Friday after he was sent an advanced copy of the Privileges Committee report, which investigated whether he misled Parliament about lockdown parties. Now, that report is due to be finalised today and is likely to be published this week. Mr Johnson accused the committee of mounting a witch hunt against him determined to drive him out of Parliament, he said. There was also controversy surrounding Boris Johnson's honours list, which Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has been speaking about this morning. And look, when it, when it comes to uh, you know, honours and, and Boris Johnson, look, Bo- Boris Johnson asked me to do something that I wasn't prepared to do because I didn't think it was right. Uh, that was to uh, you know, either overrule the HOLAC committee or to make promises with people. Now, I... I wasn't prepared to do that. As I said, I didn't think it was right. And if people don't like that, then tough. When I got this job, I said I was going to do things differently because I wanted to change politics. And that's what I'm doing. Uh, And I'm also keen to make sure that we change how our country works. And that's what I'm here talking about today. Well, I'm joined on the line by Kevin Maguire, Associate Editor with The Daily Mirror, and Sonia Purnell, who's author of Just Boris, A Tale of Blonde Ambition. You're both welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, 
just going back to the honours list controversy, Sonia, first of all, some of the names included on Boris Johnson's list, they were also caught up, weren't they, in the Partygate controversy? Yes, it seems like um, I mean, I, you know, I find it absolutely incredible that these people who were who were caught um, breaking the lockdown rules are, are now being honoured. But I mean, there's nothing honourable about that honours list, believe me. And I think anyone who's honest actually should be rather ashamed. And we'll always have a tag, I think, from now on that oh, okay, so you were on that honours list. Well, you know, you're kind of sort of tainted in a way by association with a very very dark period of of British history. And I, I do now wonder whether we really should have such lists in future, whether Prime Ministers should have such patronage, because I think this shows how they can be abused, how people who are really not suitable for what is already the world's largest legislative um, chamber, then and these people, you know, largely are just not suitable to, to go there and will be lawmakers for life. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is quite shocking. Just going back to Boris Johnson's decision to resign on Friday night. Now, despite his statement saying that there's a witch hunt against me, I think the first thing most people think when they see a resignation like that coming after somebody has had advance notice of what the committee is about to decide, you think, well, what must be in there? We don't know yet, do we, though, Sonia, what's in that report and what the recommendations are? We don't know for sure, no, although like you say, we probably will this week, um, but we know it's pretty bad because otherwise there wouldn't have been a recommendation for a suspension of over 10 days. Um, he wasn't driven out, by the way. He fled. Um, you know, He couldn't stand the thought as he would probably have had to uh, endure the thought of losing a vote on the floor of the House of Commons and then standing. Then there'd be probably a by-election, which he would probably lose. What he's really worried about is being branded a loser because, A, that just doesn't fit his own self but also he's a man who wants to make a lot of money and people are unlikely or less likely to hire someone to give very, very expensive speeches if he's a loser. Okay, Kevin, uh, listening to all of that, he doesn't want to be branded a loser, but he does have the capacity to cause more trouble for Rishi Sunak, do you think? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's a baby Trump temper tantrum from the former prime minister, but he can cause enormous trouble for uh, Sudak, not because he has huge support in the Conservative Party. Uh, I don't think he has that anymore. The fact there's only been two resignations alongside his tells us he's a declining force, but he can win headlines. He's a household name. Kevin Maguire from Today with Claire Byrne. And that's it for Playback Daily, so mind yourself till next time. <laughs>